Less Doing, episode 93. Ari talks with JJ Virgin, author of The Sugar Impact Diet, about sugar cravings, hidden sources of sugar, and detoxing. Welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast, episode 93. This episode of the Less Doing Podcast is sponsored by followup.cc. Now, followup.cc is my number one productivity tool that I recommend to everybody. It allows you to automate email follow-up. So if you send an email to somebody, you can then put in the BCC field three days at followup.cc or two weeks at followup.cc or Thursday 9 p.m. at followup.cc, any time period you want at followup.cc. And when that time period comes around, you will get that email back in your inbox as a reminder, and it will include a snooze functionality. So if it's not quite the right time, you can just click the button and snooze it to a later time. And I actually recommend this for people to get to inbox zero, for them to get rid of their to-do list entirely. Followup.cc is an absolutely indispensable service. And right now, if you sign up for followup.cc and use the code MORELIVING, you'll receive 20% off any basic or professional plan. So thank you to followup.cc for sponsoring this episode. Hold on. One thing that you've got to tell them about followup.cc is the coolest feature that I think exists about it. And that is how you get, you followup.cc, you put it in a CC field and you get it to like, let's say you email someone, you can explain this better. Let's say you email someone and you want it to bug them basically to get the task done. Um, how, how do you do this? You put it. Oh, you, you put, put it in the, in the CC field. Yeah. If you put it in the BCC field, then you get the reminder. If you put it in the CC field, then, uh, you both get the reminder. Then you both get the reminder. So you could say, you know, um, if you're, it's, it's great if you're asking someone to do something, then I mean, they'll get that reminder, you know, at the same time and you can keep sending it, um, until they do it, which I think is great. <laughs> absolutely so i love it yeah um okay so let's uh let's talk about today's episode is a really cool one i interviewed jj virgin who uh has written a couple books but the the newest book coming out is called the sugar impact diet and actually i think by the time we post this episode it will have just come out like the day before so uh, the sugar impact diet is really, uh, you know, there's there's a ton of diets about how to get sugar out of your out of your your system and and not have sugar and basically detox with sugar. But a lot of them don't work because they're too extreme or they're too drastic or they just don't take into account how people actually like live their lives. So JJ has taken a really good approach to it. And what I like is that she sort of framed this as that she wants after two weeks for people to find foods, certain foods to be too sweet because they've actually reset their taste buds and gotten the sugar out. And without getting into all the details about why sugar is bad for you, because that should be somewhat obvious, uh, she lists all sorts of hidden sources of sugar that we don't think about, what certain things on labels, like when, when, for instance, when something says no sugar added on a label, it can still have concentrated fruit juice in it, which is Basically, Basically more sugar. sugar. Uh, so, I see. Yeah, so it was a really, really great interview. And JJ is awesome. I met her at Joe Polish's event. She is often cited as having very, very nice arms and legs because she, she's a rather tall woman and she's in great shape and in, and looks great. And she looks a, fabulous. Yeah, she does. And she's a mother of two. And uh, it was a really fun interview. It was really, really fun. So her wow. book should be out by the time this podcast, this episode releases. And You'll enjoy that interview. Oh, wow. So uh, first app I want to talk about, this is a very, very basic thing, but it serves a need that I can't believe has not been uh, done until now. So if anybody uses like Hot or Not or um, Tinder or any of those things, they'll be familiar with uh, like swiping left and right. You know, so if somebody's hot, you swipe right. I don't even know. Actually, I've never used it, but you can sw- <laughs> any of the apps that let you swipe to process things, I think are really great because it's a very... Yeah. Easy motion, right? And, and you can do it very quickly. That's why I use my mailbox app for that. Right, yes. Okay, email. so there's a, there's yeah. a, that's a, actually a really great example. <clears throat> it's funny because somebody was asking me about that today, and I, I, I couldn't think of a specific example, and now I'm going to use that one. Uh, so this one is called Flick, F-L-I-C. And this looks so great. I'm signing up. I'm getting it right now. 
Sorry, yeah. I'm well, like interrupting your thing before you even started. No, no, so, not at all. Yeah, but okay. you know, it's it's some it's a it's a problem that I think is really common is when you fill up your phone. A lot of people will notice that they have like four thousand photos in their camera roll, and to delete a lot of photos in your camera roll, you have to go like click, 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 click. I mean, you really cannot do it very visually. You have to go exactly. down a list. Exactly. There's no like shift click or bubble click or exactly. Right, which is crazy. It's so it's so annoying, and. Uh, this, this, what it lets you do is flick left to delete, flick right to keep. So you can go through a number of photos very, very quickly. Uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing. You can do it fairly mindlessly. I mean, just, you don't even have to look at it and just keep swiping left and right. Uh, because I, for instance, use Dropbox camera import. So every time I take a photo, it's immediately uploaded to Dropbox. So I pretty much can delete everything on my camera roll without even having to think twice about it. I see. That's cool. So this yeah. is like literally while I've just been talking for the last 15 seconds, I've swiped. I've just been swiping, and I've got 122 megabytes of photos to be clear. I just did 102 photos in that time that we were just talking about that. So, I mean, this wow. thing is great, and I, I, I mean, I can't believe I hadn't existed before. So if you have a lot of photos on your camera roll and you need to free up space on your phone, check this out for sure. Oh, this is great. Yeah. So, uh, okay, so the next one is there is a cool service now called OnRadPad, or it's called RadPad, rather. And basically, it lets you pay your rent with your credit card. So, there, again, there have been services like this before, but a lot, most, or at least all the ones I've ever seen have required that you and your landlord be signed up for the service, which, you know, quite frankly, you're not going to get, like, your random landlord that has a building in Brooklyn to, to necessarily sign up for a credit card service like this. So the the way that they do it actually is that you don't the landlord does not have to be paid, doesn't have to be signed up for Radpad. So you can sign I mean sorry, you can pay with your credit card and then basically they'll either do a direct deposit or send a check. And you can message through the app. It will make sure that you never like misses miss a payment. Uh, And the cost, this is what's really cool. Um, So the cost is uh, let's see, for instance, like if your rent is two thousand dollars a month you mm-hmm. can either pay, which I love. You can, so pay you, your, you can pay your landlord with a debit or credit card. Right. Okay. So now this is what's so cool because, cool. again, they'll be like, oh, well, what does it cost? So this, if you're going to pay with a credit card, it's a $65 fee for $2,000 of rent, which is three and a quarter percent on the credit card. Now, that's not great. I mean, and, and, I, and I can see why people might balk at that. Now, $65 on 2000 maybe that's not a big deal, but... You know, $65 is not nothing. If you pay with your debit card, it's just $4.95. That's it. Wow. Which I think yeah. is great and, and yeah, totally exactly. worth it. Yeah. You know, so you don't have to deal with being it's late. It's better than deal with late, late fees and bouncing checks and all that. Nonsense. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And what's cool about this, so like I just put this in at the bottom. There's a nice little calculator. And it says you have 13 days left to set up your November rent so we can guarantee your rent will be paid on time, uh, which is amazing cool. because yeah. that means that you have until the 26th to have it delivered five days later. That's that's really good. Yeah, right. Right. So I think this is great. Now, personally, I probably would, if I was doing this, I probably would pay with my credit card because then I get the points and the points are, you know, val- valuable to me for all the travel that I have to do. Yeah, but the points is $65 of, well, it depends on how much. It depends rent. how much your rent is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I guess that is a quite a hefty chunk. So that would give you a lot of points. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So uh, I love it. Okay. So the next one is plastic. Now I mentioned this to you the other day. Did you, did you look at this yet? Uh, no, I haven't. You okay, know, please, please pull this up while we're talking because this is going to, you're going to, I'm waiting, I'm going to wait for you to say, wow. <laughs> you, know, you know, some of your, some of the links go in bad. They come in with a little plus at the end and then it doesn't work. Yeah. You just take off the plus. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, you, and I, and I fix that when we do it in the show notes. The reason it uh, does okay, that I think cool. is it's an IFTTT thing that it pulls uh, Okay. I thought it might be something like that. Okay. Yeah. So shoot, this looks awesome. Okay, good. So, okay. so there've been other cards before that allow you to combine multiple credit cards into one thing, but they usually, and, and you know, like the one card is a pretty sexy one. It's just a black card oh. that you pick. This one actually has yeah. e-paper on it. So when you tap it, it actually changes and shows the number and it looks like a regular credit card. Wow. This is awesome. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, it's that really, is, I, it, and the website is great. It's a full screen video. Check out Plastic because, you know, if you have a lot of credit cards you carry, you can make this into one. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is so cool. <laughs> yeah, wow. Not cheap. 
No, it's $155? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So basically, one way combining one card into many. I mean, many combining many cards. Yes. Into one, just one. Cut your card into many shrivels. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We should stop gawping at it and move on. Yes. Okay. So uh, then the next one, there's a. Okay. So this one, actually, this is very, very important to me. And I'm really glad that there was an article on this particularly. So there was an article in. Um, on uh, BPS Research Digest, which is a psychology, it's a British Psychological Society, uh, their website. So what the title of the article was is that students learn better when they think they're going to have to teach the material. Yeah. So I think this is really powerful because I actually apply this in my mastermind groups. And for instance, all the members of my mastermind coaching program are also in the Facebook group for the boot camp. So my last doing boot camp is what people have to go through before they're eligible for the mastermind. It's it's really it's an eight week program that takes people through the the fundamentals of my system of less doing and they get to really learn it. And then there's a Facebook group where they can ask questions. And everybody who's in the mastermind is also added to the Facebook group for the boot camp because my as my friend Alan said, Alan from uh, Satori Prime mastery comes through teaching. So Mm. when, you know, it's one thing to learn how to manage your inbox or manage your time or outsource things better. But if you actually have to teach it, I think it, it just solidifies so much better. And what, what was cool about this research was that it's not even necessarily that they have to teach it, but that they were, they believe that they're going to have to teach it. Yeah. So people internalize it. My my mom's a teacher and she says, you know, she's always, said that you know if you want to learn something teach it right yeah that's so i i'm really glad to see an article like this it was really exciting actually uh so at the bulletproof conference a couple weeks ago the keynote presenter was stephen kotler who i've interviewed before and he wrote about flow about flow state and you know that state we get into where as he says flow is an optimal state of consciousness a peak state where we both feel our best and perform our best And what he basically focused on is how to hack flow. And he found these 17 triggers that help to hack flow. So there's four psychological triggers, three environmental triggers, nine social, and one creative. And I'm not going to list them all. I want to talk about a couple of them. Uh, But you can go ahead and see the SlideShare presentation that he has shared uh, and that we have in the show show notes so you can see the details. But one of them is immediate feedback. So if you're getting immediate feedback on something that's helping you and, and where that happens in like in surgery, for instance, you know, if you cut something and it bleeds, that's pretty immediate feedback. Uh, or if you're surfing and you, you know, take a step a wrong way, you're going to fall off the board. So that's really great immediate feedback. High consequences is another one, which both of those two examples sort of embody. Mm. Um, risk, you know, is another one. Good communication sense of control. So there's 17 triggers here that you can hack and you can put these in place and put yourself in that kind of situation. And what the cool thing about this is that if you do these things, you can then actually roll that into the another activity. So for instance, you could do some sort of extreme sport and then, you know, come off the mountain or whatever you are and try to do some writing, for instance, and you should be able to actually take advantage of that flow state. So If you think about the scene in the first Spider-Man movie with, um, uh, what's his name? Toby, Toby McGuire. Is that who was asking the wrong guy? Yeah. I don't know. Actually, I think it was Toby McGuire. Anyway, there's this, I don't think, I doubt he was Spider-Man and Superman. Was he? No, no, no. no. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, whatever. Anyway, so it was one of the Spider-Man. Oh, it was, oh, oh, geez, this is ridiculous. So many Spider-Mans. Anyway, there was a Spider-Man where he becomes Spider-Man and then he's at school and all of a sudden, like everything slows down, and he sees like somebody th- throwing an airplane at him from down the hall, and, and the bully's fist is coming at him from the side, and he's re- able to react. Oh, uh, yeah. That's yeah. kind of like what the flow state is. Like, your uh, mind okay. blows it all down. So, Felix? Yes. Oh, okay. Sorry. You got quiet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thought I lost you there. No, um, no. Okay. I was so, why you went quiet? Yes. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Okay. Go on. So there uh, was a thing on. So there's this website I really like called Damn Cool Pictures, and it's just they just show different graphic stuff all the time, different series of photos, and uh, they have this graphic from the 
from Food Revolution Day, which is uh, Jamie Oliver. So you know, you're I know you're familiar with Jamie Oliver, of course. Yeah. And uh, he's really made this big move to bring real nutrition back to schools. And it's just there's a great infographic that we show that I, I put up here that just shows sort of the effects of what food has become sort of in, in school lunches yeah. and, and what it can be and, and the effect that it can have on kids. And there's a lot of information here, so I'm not going to go through a, too much. But, you know, a big thing was not having enough good fats. So that was one issue. Oh, which, really? Yeah, wow. which we've talked about before because brains need fat. So, But the problem is it's got to be good fat. So no trans fats, of course. And Right. There's there's a lot of things we can do for kids in terms of improving diet and school lunches, you know, where where pizza is considered a vegetable, and I'm not kidding, that's actually the case in yeah, some school districts. It's a USDA thing. It's so that they can call pizza a vegetable and then not get away with having to pay for um, food budget stuff. Right. Anyway, it's a political thing. We don't want to get into that. No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, I think that actually might be the last one that I had for this week. So, yeah, no, that is, that is. So let's get to the interview with uh, with JJ Virgin and check out her book, The Sugar Impact Diet, because it's great. I got an advanced copy and it's it's really, really good. And thanks everybody for great. listening. In. Yeah, I can't wait to listen to this actually. Yeah. Yeah. All right, everybody. So now we will see you next week. Indeed. Now I'm speaking with JJ Virgin, whose name I love, and who is the, <laughs> the author of the upcoming book, The Sugar Impact Diet. And I'm so excited to be able to talk to, Vir- to, to JJ after meeting her at the Genius Network event. So JJ, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. You are so welcome. So you have name envy, huh? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It, what is, can you tell us what JJ stands for? <laughs> so I actually, when I was in college, I went to Japan to help bring aerobics to Japan. And I remember getting wow. off the plane and there was a little sign and it said, welcome, J-U-R-I, which is not my name. My name is not Juri, it's Julie. But <laughs> I, I looked, I went, oh my gosh, I'm going to be Juri Johnson for like the next six months. No, nah, I don't think so. So I became actually, I'm glad this part didn't stick. I became Jumbo because I was in Japan after all and I'm six feet tall. I was Jumbo JJ. So uh, wow. that's that's where it started and it just kind of stuck. And then I got this awesome last name that is like the best last name ever, <laughs> except it gets in a lot of spam filters, unfortunately. Yes. Um, and, and then there's that little Richard Branson issue with some of the things I want to brand that I can't. <laughs> but beyond that, I like it, you know. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a good problem to deal with. So I, I, I love the name. So that's. Right away, something that makes me happy. Um, so, uh, all right. So, before we actually get to the diet and the book itself, I, I want to talk about you a little bit. So, where, how did, you, how did you get to this point? Without, you know, we'll, I'm going to ask a bunch of questions about the diet and the book itself, but just how, how did you get here? Well, I have always, I grew up in Berkeley. So I, I like to say I'm a high maintenance hippie. I mean, when you grow up in Berkeley, farm to table is how you roll, except I happen to be raised from a mom in the Midwest who raised me on Pop-Tarts and Captain Crunch. So mm. that kind of dials into the whole sugar thing. I don't have a sweet tooth, but my mom got me one growing up because I literally was raised on that. But I was very, very athletic. And so all during high school, I paid my way through, through um, I saved up for college by teaching dance class and catering. <laughs> and then I went off to college and taught aerobics and I catered. And I literally was trying to decide whether I was going to go to school for exercise science or go to school to go to the Culinary Institute when I graduate. I went to school as a as a theater major at UCLA and I hated it within a month because it was like the people who couldn't make it in Hollywood were teaching. Um, <laughs> so I was going, you know, I'd come from American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco, which is like amazing. And I'm going, what? What is this? You know, this is not going to work. So it ended up great. I was an English major in college. I was a, you know, I came, did a bunch of theater and then I went and studied exercise science. Then I went to nutrition, 40 graduate and doctoral courses and, and had cooking businesses along the way. And it's funny how all of a sudden you look at it and you go, wow, like I'm using the English major. I'm using the, all the performing arts stuff. I'm using all the exercise stuff. I'm using all the cooking stuff. I'm, you know, and I studied a lot of marketing and business along the way because that's my 
ultimate favorite. So there you have it. And so that like plopped me down here, taking on sugar. Okay. All right. Well, so so that's like an unusual story. I'm, I, you know, I'm missing the part where you were at the, you know, death store and you were massively overweight, and then you had to make some transformation. Well, you know what's actually interesting? You know, I never, I never was. I did give birth at two twelve, and people are like, oh, you were pregnant. I'm like, well, I wasn't like eight feet tall. You know, that's still too much weight. But um, uh, you know, I, I, even if you're struggling with 10 or 20 pounds or struggling, my story was much more around acne. I had like chronic acne until I figured out the dairy and sugar. Mm-hmm. You know, I kept thinking I was getting the sugar out, but in reality, I wasn't getting the sugar out. I just, I didn't eat ice cream. I ate frozen yogurt. You know, I didn't eat um, candy bars. I ate black licorice. So I didn't get the sugar out at all, right? And then I was eating all this dairy. Once I dropped those things, I didn't have any skin problems. But right when my Virgin Diet book published, my older son, who was 16 at the time, got run down by a car crossing the street and left for dead. And literally, I launched the Virgin Diet out of the ICU because, I mean, I'm the sole financial support of my family and I had like everything invested. If the book didn't go, we were bankrupt, you know, and I have a son in the ICU with like every torn aorta, brain bleeds, coma, you know, 13 fractures. I'm going, all right, you know, now I really have to make this work. But it was really amazing because first of all, I had to be able to handle that level of stress and stay together because you can't be sick in the ICU. You sick, you don't go in. And I used all of this stuff and all my doctor friends, thank them all, um, to do some things kind of behind some of the doctor's backs to bring them back, which I've actually been on the doctors and Sanjay Gupta and um, Bercola did a big thing on it, just about some of the things that we did to help Grant come back. Because, you know, he literally, they were like, you got to let him go. He'll be so brain damaged. He's going to die, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, "Uh uh-uh, we're not doing it. So, you know, it's just a testament. You never know when something is just going to like take you down. And that's why I always tell people if, if you've got sugar holding you back or, you know, some health thing holding you back and, and most of these health things can be corrected or majorly shifted with a dietary shift. If you've got that and you, you know, because you're a testament to that, you know, it's like, you don't know when, when either a huge opportunity or something like that's going to happen and you, you got to be on your game. So this thing you got to get handled because you don't want to not be able to live your life full out because of something silly, like you can't get rid of your, you know, bread addiction, right? <laughs> Absolutely. No, I, I, I that's. That's a good way to put it. Actually, it's a good way to frame it. So, all right. So let's let's get to the diet, and and I I want to frame this from my end too. That you know, so everyone who listens to my podcast knows that I overcame Crohn's disease, and my general recommendations for diet, not just for for me, but for for people uh, trying to get healthier or just be healthy, is that on a very general level, I believe in a high fat, low sugar diet, and the low sugar part has always been. A challenge, honestly. Uh, high fat is easy for me. I love butter and I love all sorts of, I love olive oil, I love wild caught salmon and grass fed beef. But the sugar part was interesting for me because what happened to me was that I, I did not have a sweet tooth per se until I started training for Ironman. And what happened was that I was, this was, this is on my road to recovery from Crohn's, but I also didn't know a lot about nutrition. It was mostly experimentation. So I was having, you know, eight, 9,000 calories a day, probably 85% carbs. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. I was, I was eating like, like a Kenyan basically. Um, and, and running like one, I think I'd like to hope actually. Um, but basically I was eating, you know, and a lot of it was processed crap, you know, like, uh, gels and yes, I know and a lot of pasta, lots and lots of pasta. Um, and I think the only way that I actually, from a Crohn's perspective survived that was because I was burning so much because of all the exercise. But what happened was after Ironman, which by the way, was in France, which is not a good place to kick a a sugar or carb uh, addiction. <laughs> um, I stopped eating that amount, but I started very quickly after that to get these massive sugar cravings. And I, you know, I think my body was just missing all those carbs that were coming in yeah, and it was just asking for that sugar. So you, you taught it to be a sugar burner and then you took it away. Like, like, and you think it's going to, it's going to shift, you know? It's yeah, not, exactly. You're not a hybrid, you know? <laughs> yes, exactly. I didn't even know what ketosis was at the time. I didn't really know uh, any of that stuff. So, uh, it, it, I mean, I was getting like headaches and withdrawal symptoms and it was crazy. Cause I mean, this was literally like the day after the race, I stopped eating that amount of food. Uh, so it's something that I still struggle with today when I'm tired, when I'm stressed. It's really, I feel that like creep up on me where I want something 
sugary. Usually, fortunately, I actually crave salt more often. But it's still, it, it's really fascinating to me the power that sugar has over people. Even oh, even somebody a drug. Yeah. I mean, do you know I just saw something and it made me insane. I sent it over to one of the um, writers on my team. I'm like, I'm like trash this right because I get this little sugar alert and some newspaper said sugar is not a drug. It's not an addiction. There's no science to prove that. I'm like, have you like, are you not? Do you not know about PubMed.com? <laughs> you know, have you not seen the cocaine and morphine studies and the Oreo cookie studies with rats? It's like, of course it's a drug, silly. You know, I mean, it's just crazy. And of course you're going addict to get addicted to it. And, and, you know, the idea that you could just pull it out and be fine and go on your merry way is the stu- That's why I got so crazy about all the sugar programs out there. They're like, okay, sugar's bad. Stop eating it. I'm like, oh, okay. I, why don't I think of that? Right. Right. It, well, that's like say, that's like telling someone to stress less. You know, it's like just yeah. just just relax. And it'll be yeah, f- just just chill, man. Just chill. <laughs> I always love it when people say that to me. It's like that totally stresses me out and pisses me off. Like just chill. You just need to relax. Yeah. Like you know what? I just want to smack you when you say that. <laughs> yeah, my my wife has that response when I say that. So yeah, that's it works really well. It's like well, to go take a stress management course. You know, that's a good one too. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's better than telling someone they need an anger management course and then you get smacked in the face. Uh, so all right, so you start. Okay, so sugar impact diet. What made you decide to take on sugar? All right. So here's what happened. I wrote The Virgin Diet and I actually do not have a sweet tooth because there's a couple different ways you start to crave sugar. One obviously is there's genetics, sweet tooth and sweet taste. When I was on, I was on this show called Freaky Eaters on TLC and we actually tested everybody. And so you'd see it because people, it was funny in Freaky Eaters, people didn't get addicted to like broccoli or, or salmon. It was always like potatoes, potato chips, French fries, you know, <laughs> it was always sugar or something like that. Um, but then you can acquire sweet tooth too, like, like my mother raising me on pop tarts and captain crunch. But I honestly, I got myself out of it. So I didn't really have a sweet tooth. And, but what I was amazed about with the virgin diet is two things. Number one, there were people either that were just controlled by it and consumed with their cravings, whether it was due to genetics acquired or stress. Stress is a huge cause of sugar cravings. Um, and just the clear thing that you said, Oh, it's really when I'm craving salt. It's like, well, that's total adrenal signs, you know? And then, um, so people were either totally controlled by their cravings or they were just confused. And I think this is the biggest problem is there's so much misinformation out there. You know, the example, a great example is you can write no sugar added on a label and use fruit juice concentrate or fr- fruit purees, which are worse than just throwing glucose in there. I'd rather you have a glucose, you know, gel goo thing <laughs> than go eat a bunch of um, concentrated fruit juice because that's just terrible. So you can put that on a label and think you're doing just fine and not realize how much sugar you're getting. And, you know, this all really happened way back when it was a couple decades ago when Ansel Keys and John Yudkin got in the big argument over what was causing heart disease. And Yudkin, so ahead of his time, said it's the sugar and didn't have a lot of the science, like the studies, but he had the biochemistry. And Ansel Keys took a a study from um, the Seven Sisters Cholesterol Study, totally misread it and made it all about um, fat. And so fat got pulled out of food and sugar, it was the same time that high fructose corn syrup got stabilized in price. So all of a sudden sugar got cheap and, you know, the rest is history. We we got taken down. I mean, if you follow the obesity curves over the last couple decades, we went from eating five pounds of sugar in the 1900s and the obesity rate was 0.75%. And then about 20, 30 years ago, we were eating 25, 26 pounds of sugar. And I think we're somewhere around this 10 to 15% obesity. I think it was 10%. Now it's 30%, 35% rather, 34.9%. And we are eating 150 pounds of sugar in the last, it's gone from 26 to 152 pounds in the last 20 years. And just, we've had this accelerated curve of obesity. So it's not the calories, it's where the calories are coming from. And it's because of the confusion out there that, you know, fat's bad and, you know, you need sugar. You keep reading, but your body needs sugar. Well, you know, you do better with low impact 
uh, carbs, what I call low sugar impact carbs. Yes, because your brain does better with it, but you don't need sugar. You can live without it. You can do fine with fat and protein and water as we've shown, right? Well, and your body produces the glucose your brain yeah, it's needs like, it's anyway. Like it's, it's got, it's got a, another system. So if you don't get it in there, it'll, it'll cover for it. Can't handle it without fat or protein. You, those you have to have, but it can make its own sugar. So that's where it's crazy when you look at like the food guide pyramid or the now my plate. It's like, well, why are we focusing on the one thing your body doesn't have to have? Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's, it's just it's crazy. And then saying have five servings of fruits and vegetables as if fruit is the same as vegetables, as if kale is the same as a banana. Well, pizza is considered a vegetable now in certain school districts, you know. Absolutely. Well, just wait because your kids are little. Wait till they go to school and they give them French fries with ketchup as their vegetable serving. Yeah. It's craziness. And ketchup, I mean, so you look at these things like someone trying to be good. And so they just have a salad and they have a salad with a fat-free dressing and dried fruit and glazed walnuts, maybe some glazed fish on top. Glazed is just code for shined with sugar. I mean, think glazed donuts. And so it's sneaking into all these places. And, and where it's most upsetting is when people are trying to do everything well. So they're just having the agave because it's all natural or the honey, the raw honey, you know, and it's like, oh my gosh, it's still sugar people, right? So that's what's taking us down the most, I think, all that confusion as to what's really sugar, what what counts, you know, what should we be having? Right. Okay. Well, I, but I, and before I get into too much detail, I actually do want to ask you about the, the honey thing because for me, I, I'll have a, a little bit of raw honey at night sometimes, uh, which I actually find helps me sleep a little bit better sometimes. But you have a problem with raw honey too. Well, it depends on the amount. I actually, raw honey is an amazing homeopath treatment. You know, if you get local raw organic honey, if you have any issues with allergies, it can be amazing. You need a half a teaspoon, you know, but the problem is it's people aren't using a half of a teaspoon of local raw organic honey. They're getting a bear, right? (laughs) And they're squeezing it into their coffee because it's honey. And for some reason that makes it okay. Yeah. Well, right. and, and for anybody listening, if you don't know, you should not be able to see through honey. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the way it's supposed right. to look. Yes, that would mean it's processed. So, And, you know, it, it's like all sugar is natural unless it's an artificial sweetener. So this whole idea of it's natural, well, they're all natural. Right. Unless, okay. they're, unless they're aspartame or Splenda or Acylfame K or any of these other caca things, they're all natural. Well, so, well, so like, what about like the sugar alcohols, like xylitol, erythritol? Like, how do you feel about those? I like sugar alcohols. Um, the ones that don't convert to fructose are my preferred ones. So xylitol and erythritol, like of sweeteners, if people have to use sweeteners. And the thing is, I still want people to not go, oh, okay, I'll just use a bunch of this. I like sugar alcohols because especially xylitol, if you overdose on xylitol, you're going to have the worst gas on the planet. So you won't do that. It's kind of rate limiting. Yes. But the reason I like them is because they do have some calories, whereas stevia and monk fruit, even though, you know, those to me are, are decent alternatives, but because they have no calories, they can cause that same calorie dysregulation that you see in the studies with the aspartame where they gave the mice sugar water, let them eat, they ate what they needed to survive, they gave them aspartame, then they ate what they needed to survive, and then they went back to sugar water and they overate because they lost that ability to calibrate, you know, sweetness with calories. So the thing is, when you're eating sweet, you crave sweet. So, you know, there is no free lunch. And the last thing you want to do is keep your sweet tooth fired up. And especially if you're one of those genetic sweet tasters who where the more sweet you eat, the more sweet you want, which is, you know, most people. So I still think you should be tapering off and really learning to appreciate savory and spicy. You know, I'm a big fan of sea salt so often. If you see, if you go, gosh, I want sweet and and salty. Well, you probably have an adrenal issue. It's probably a stress thing. And if you could just digest your protein well, so you can make your serotonin and have a little sea salt, you'll be cool. (laughs) So, you know, have a piece of grass fed beef with some sea salt on it and life is good, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So now, okay. So, so let's get to the book now. So why, first of all, is it called the sugar impact diet? Because I couldn't believe that we were using this silly glycemic index as our framework for evaluating sugar. 
Because food is information. And so you really want to, when you, when you eat food, you're going, all right, what's, what's happening when I eat this food? Is it, is it making me have more energy or store more fat? Am I, you know, de-aging or accelerating my inflammation, my aging, creating inflammation, reducing inflammation. It's really about the impact that the sugar has on your body. When you look at the glycemic index, it's just, it's so stupid. And I went, why is this prevailing as this way that we look at sugar when all it looks at is, first of all, glucose, it takes fructose totally out of the picture. And as we know, fructose is more harmful than any other sugar. And even, you know, even, even if it's in the form of whole fruits? Well, yeah, we'll talk about it. Let's, yeah. let's hold, hold, hold that. Okay. Um, <laughs> but so you've got, you've got glucose and fructose because everything's going to go to one of those places. And then fructose could go to glycogen in the liver because as we know, fructose goes st- straight to the liver. It doesn't raise blood sugar. So we thought this is awesome. But because it doesn't raise blood sugar, it doesn't trigger insulin, leptin, um, ghrelin, it doesn't trigger any of the satiety signals. It just goes straight to the liver. If there is any room there for it to get changed into glucose and stored as glycogen, great, but liver is not a big thing. And so generally it's going to start making fat. And that's where we now have fatty liver in kids. You know, we had to create a new name, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Yeah. Used to just be alcoholics, but high fructose corn syrup changed all that for us. So, you know, so you look at glucose and you look at the glycemic index. First of all, it makes a carrot look like a potato because it doesn't take into serving sizes into account. You know, it just takes a 50 gram dose of something, which is totally realistic with a potato and totally unrealistic for a carrot. You know, so that's crazy. And also we don't tend to eat in isolation, go, I'm going to go to have 50 grams of this and nothing else. And that's not the way our body works. And as you know, fat and carbohydrates and protein have a balancing effect hormonally when you eat them. But it's overall, it's about the glycemic load. So what I did was I wanted to look at what's the impact something has, because then I can take down artificial sweeteners too. Is it, you know, is it, um, raising insulin? Is it making you insulin resistant? Is it creating problems with leptin? What's it doing to your cortisol? Is it creating inflammation? Is it, you know, making you um, tired, moody, etc.? So that was what I went after in the idea of sugar impact. The scales themselves, because I created a new framework for looking at sugar based on glycemic loads, the amount actually of a food that's raising blood sugar, the in a normal amount, right? Fructose grams and finding fructose grams and things is not necessarily that easy. So that was another hunt. And then I contrasted that with fiber and phytonutrients, nutrient density, because those can offset it. So that's where fruit, you know, you look at an apple or you look at a pear and they're the highest fructose fruits out there, but they've got fiber and nutrient density to help offset it. The challenge is when you take apple juice, yeah, right? Because so the American Academy of Pediatrics says that for seven years of age or older, those kids can have 12 ounces of juice a day. Well, if they have 12 ounces of apple juice, it's 44 grams of sugar and it's got more fructose than a Coke. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. is that really a good idea? You know, it's not. And the challenge I see with that is it's one thing to have a whole piece of fruit. It's a whole other thing to unwrap it or shrivel it. And, you know, because most people are not going to have, I have a quarter cup of raisins as their fruit serving. No, they're going to have a half cup, a cup. They'll just keep popping them. So, you know, one or two pieces of fruit a day, acceptable. But um, I think people have this idea that fruit for some reason is free food. I'll just snack on some grapes, you know, I'll have a banana and especially at night. And I think that's really an issue. When I take people through this program and the first part of it, we taper down because I see that as a big problem in sugar is people just try to pull it out all cold turkey. Besides the fact, it's not all created equal. So there's some things you can eat and some you shouldn't. But during the second second cycle where I really help reclaim sugar sensitivity, I take out fructose altogether. So fruit goes out altogether for two weeks because I wanted to prove that I could take the biggest sugar addicts, the biggest diehards, and over two weeks get them to actually start to think that foods are too sweet. And fructose is the sweetest sugar out there. So two weeks, no fruit. Get your liver really bad at transporting, you know, your body really bad at transporting fructose to the liver because the more fructose you eat, the better your body gets at transporting fructose to the liver. You know, you elevate GLUT5 transport system. We don't want to be good at that. We want to suck at transporting fructose to the liver, right? So you want to, and that happens pretty quickly, which is pretty exciting. But the challenge is, you know, if you were having one or two pieces of fruit a day and that's the only place you were getting your fructose, fine, but that's not what's happening. 
I mean, if you look at 80% of the processed foods in the stores have added sugar basically in the form of high fructose corn syrup, right? Yes. So we're getting, and table sugar is, is fructose and glucose. So we're getting fructose every time we turn around. And that's the real challenge with it. Yeah, it's interesting that you said that one thing about the about children and the twelve ounces because so my my son Ben who is almost three has for a, a couple months basically generally has sort of loose uh, stool. <laughs> Sorry, it's a good thing he's so young and he won't hear this. Um, but it's also it's a very very common thing for kids like up to five years old basically because they have immature digestive tracts and and in Ben's case actually he's very active and he drinks a ton of water but it was just funny because I when we we told his doctor about it originally and the first thing she said was cut out fruit juice I was like okay but mm-hmm. he doesn't have fruit juice um, and then I asked another doctor who was a friend of mine and he first thing he said was cut out fruit juice <laughs> it's like well he's not having fruit juice but it's kind of funny that that's the first thing that comes to mind well, it is because they generally will tell like, you know, first six uh, months of life, no fruit juice because you don't have the GLUT5 transport system there to be able to do it. So you'll get diarrhea. So fructose, when you're not used to it, it will give you gas and bloating and diarrhea. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, you know, make sure that no one's sneaking any, you know, fructose in there because it's just, it's hard and you might have fructose malabsorption. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so. Okay, well, so so how do you how do you start? So you cut out the fruit. How do you kind of what what's next? How do you start this process? Well, actually, that's that's the second. That's jumping straight into the middle. I mean, the very first part of this again is is I wanted to take a new way of looking at this because I really want people to gain back control and to start to look at foods in terms of high, medium, and low sugar impact. And ideally spending the most of the time choosing foods that are low sugar impact and then, you know, figuring out how much medium sugar impact they can have and the occasional high sugar impact food. So what I do is initially I'll have them take a sugar impact quiz and it's really basic symptoms like your energy, your mood, you know, your waistline. Are you having trouble losing weight around your waist? Just basic symptoms that you can track that most people don't really like think of in terms of, you know, what they're eating. Right. And then uh, I do a sneaky sugar inventory, which is a t- all the different medium and high sugar, the most common medium and shy, high sugar impact foods that we don't, again, we don't typically think about like balsamic vinegar or sun-dried tomatoes or marinara sauce. There's some marinara sauces out there that have more sugar than, than Oreo cookies, right? So you take a whole thing there so you really see where things are sneaking in because, again, even if you're eating healthy, these things add up. And that's the challenge. And then we go through a week of just really creating, becoming aware, eating by what I call the sugar impact plate, which is clean, lean protein, healthy fats, you know, and loads of non-starchy vegetables, and then a small amount of what I call, you know, slow, low carbs. And that's depending, I, I with this diet, it's, I I embrace the paleo and vegans. I just don't put them in the same room together ever. But, you know, I say if you're vegan or paleo or anywhere in between, this will work for you. And I give adaptation. So, you know, slow, low carbs for someone could be in the paleo world could be pumpkin and in the vegan world could be lentils. So whatever it is, it doesn't matter. We do a little bit of that healthy fats, a lot of those good protein sources and lots of non-starchy vegetables and people get used to eating by that and then once you're into that phase then we go into the cycle two where that's where you drop the fructose and you go all low sugar impact foods and again if someone's used to eating you know clean lean protein higher fats it's not going to be that big of a shell shock, right? It's more of the people who are eating a more of the traditional diet that's what recommended 50, 60% carbs, crazy, <laughs> you know, just a crazy diet. Or with a lot of people who are um, vegans and vegetarians because naturally they're going to have a higher carbohydrate diet and a lot of times a higher sugar impact diet, right? No, don't say that about vegan diets. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was a vegan for a month when I was trying to uh, overcome Crohn's and I, I, I didn't – I mean a lot of people say they feel great on a vegan diet for like six months. I didn't feel good on it for even a day. So I almost had to be hospitalized. I, I did it full out and literally uh, they said you either eat a chicken or we're taking you to the hospital. I'm like, all right, man. <laughs> get chicken. So yeah, I've, I've tried everything out there known to man and I just know that you pull gluten out, you pull dairy out, you pull soy out, you lower your sugar impact. A lot of stuff gets better really fast. It's not that hard, you know, and the cool thing 
saying is at the end of that, you start, you go back and you go, okay, now how do I feel when I eat some of these medium sugar impact foods? That would be things like a sweet potato, you know, or maybe an apple. How do you feel? How's your energy? Is it better or is it worse? If it's worse, you know, now you have a decision to make. And now that you've connected the dots and you have that awareness and you go, you know, when I eat this, like it's, it's interesting to me because I've always had trouble with apples. They've always made me hungry and I never could figure out what the heck it was. And then all of a sudden I'm looking at I'm going, oh, duh, they're the highest fructose fruit out there. I would try to eat one you know how they say just have an apple like i'd be at the airport and there's nothing there and i'd eat an apple and i went i knew this just make me hungry it doesn't work <laughs> any, any red colored apple makes me nauseous and any green colored apple gives me indigestion so yeah isn't it funny i mean so it's that's high fructose there's 11 grams of fructose in there it's a lot of fructose so it just i feel like crap if i eat that kind of thing i never do so i never i mean that that just i look at those like they're the devil you know because they are for me i'm not saying that in general. Um, but that's what I have people test to see. Cause when you connect the dots between what you're eating and how you feel, it's very different. You know, then no one's going to say, Hey, can I have a cheat day? Like that just makes me insane. Ari, when someone goes, can I have a cheat day? I go, oh, if you I know. Knew. Yeah. So if you knew that eating some bread was going to give you massive diarrhea and, and, and a food hangover, would you want a cheat day? Like you want to do that to yourself? What's wrong with you? You know? Well, I, I look at it the same way as somebody who like knows that they're going to go out drinking all night and then they feel like crap the next day, but they wear it almost like a badge of honor. It's like it's the same thing if you if you have that cheat day. It's like what it, it doesn't make any sense if you're going to yeah. eat so clean and then you're going to go have like six pizzas. You know, I know, uh, but it's still a part of so many of these things is like, OK, uh, there's two things that make me crazy out there in the food world. The cheat day because it makes no sense. And when you eat clean, you feel even worse. And this idea of everything in moderation, that one makes me insane too. Just insane. <laughs> well, yeah, and the, and the cheat day too, it's like it's not really a day. If, you, if you're eating cleanly, then a cheat day turns into like three days of recovery it, basically. Or maybe, yeah, but the problem is the cheat day then triggers all of those because normally you're going to cheat on dairy, gluten, and sugar. Right. Guaranteed. And that's a drug. There's opiate, opiate, and opiate. So all of a sudden now you've triggered all of those responses in your body again. And now you now you have to go all back in that detox thing where you're going, no, I really don't want the pizza. I want the pizza. I don't want the pizza. You know, all that stuff. So I got called to do a show this week that I had to turn down um, because they wanted me to go on this show and tell them what exercise they could do to negate the effects of eating deep dish pizza, cake, ice cream and I go I can't I can't do that because it doesn't work that way like our body is not a bank account you can't eat some pizza and then go run for two hours I mean that's this it doesn't a lot work of people, a lot of people do it <laughs> I'm like now you're just going to create a lot of oxidative stress deplete your immune system burn up muscle you've already got and raise your stress hormones more you know it just doesn't work that way people you know I said I'm not going to be on a show making this you know getting this BS out further. It's just crazy. Well, so actually, I want to talk about dairy for a second. So I, I haven't drank milk in a very, very long time. And uh, my, my son, Ben, again, actually had, had a hearing problem that we didn't even know about because of milk, uh, which we resolved, thankfully. But for me and for him and for my, for my family in general, cheese is great and yogurt uh, to some extent. But so first of all, what do you think about that? Well, you know, you're culturing it, so you're getting the sugar gone. I mean, that's one of the challenges. And, and that's what gets me. At least if you could find grass-fed raw milk, at least you're getting some of the great properties in there and the healthy fats. But then you pasteurize it and make it non-fat. So all that's left is the sugar, you know. It's like, wait a minute. Why are you doing this? And getting a big dose of it again. And if you look at, at milk, it raises insulin. I mean, it's, you know, I look at milk, bread. Bread raises, you know, it raises blood sugar more than sugar does. Dairy raises insulin more than sugar does. So these are the problems. Now, if you can get grass-fed cultured um, dairy and you don't have a response to it, it still breaks my skin out, unfortunately. It makes me so sad because I love goat cheese. I, I don't – goat yogurt to me is disgusting. But goat yeah, cheese yeah. is so – it's just – ew. I know. Ew. It's like ugh. But goat cheese I love and I love um, I love yogurt but it breaks my skin out. But if you don't have that response to it, you know, you culture something, you eat up the sugars in the culturing process and cultured food is so great. I think the most exciting thing out is really looking at our gut microbiome 
microbiome and how can we shift that and how can we get more good bacteria? The number one thing that sugar and artificial sweeteners do, I mean, I'm sure you saw that study. I was so excited to see that study come out that came out that showed that artificial sweeteners in six to seven days could change your gut bacteria so that you became more glucose intolerant. I mean, crazy stuff, man. And we know they feed the bad bacteria in the gut. And that means you've got the, you know, the bad guys were hundred trillion bacteria, hundred times the DNA, totally modifiable by diet and artificial sweeteners absolutely take our gut down. And that is the big way it's happening. And that's why we've got to get out of this bank account model way of looking at things and go, you know, if your gut, I had one client whose gut, she was barely eating. She was exercising. She was doing everything she was supposed to do. 40 pounds of her weight, couldn't lose weight because she had bad, a big, bad gut bacteria overgrowth. She had small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And once we got that under control, lost the 40 pounds, her weight was a non-issue. But until that point, it wasn't going to happen because those bad bacteria were controlling everything. They were extracting more calories from the food she ate and storing it as fat. And, you know, that's what we've got to look at is we've got to start looking at how do we elevate the good bacteria in the gut. And one of the fastest ways to do that is by getting your sugar impact down and getting the artificial sweeteners should, those artificial sweeteners should, are just the stupidest science experiment ever. Like, how did that happen? You know? Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, so, uh, sort of a specific question, but because I've seen it in some of your recipes, but uh, dark chocolate. So, I, um, in, in the second cycle, I have people do a hundred percent or, you know, one that doesn't use straight sugar, but the rest of the time, 85% or higher, I actually 100, I eat between 90 and a hundred percent dark chocolate, but generally I try to do a hundred percent, um, which I really, really love. So How, wait, a hundred percent, like yes. just cocoa powder and cacao butter and that's it's it. Just, yeah, it's just hundred percent dark wow. chocolate. And I know, man, I'm advanced. That's so pretty I, good. <laughs> I, I like the 99% lint chocolate, but yes, I have to say that yes. I feel, I feel like a hundred percent is like a logarithmic scale larger than the 99%. Well, you know what? You know, it's just a little, it's a little sidestep. It's 90% to 99 is a big difference because yeah. I have both those lints, but then you move to a hundred percent. It's really not that big of a shift and you get used to it really quickly. I try to eat about one to two ounces of dark chocolate every day. Um, sometimes I'll just throw some rock. I love rock cacao nips. I throw those in a shake. Aren't those the bomb that's, and that's so high absolutely. in fiber? Amazing. Oh, I, I love rock cacao nibs and actually the, those go in every smoothie I make. And, and I actually, sometimes I'll put them in after and just stir them in because I, yes. I actually really love like chewing on them. I do too. I like the crunch. So that's what I don't want to throw them in ahead because you know, then your blender just pulverizes them. So I throw them in at the very end. I put up, uh, avocado in there too. I, my shake is like a fat bomb. I mean, it's, it's chia seeds and avocado and, and almond or coconut milk. And then I throw a rock cacao and it nibs in at the end. And then I swirl in if I'm, depending on where I am, if I'm at my studio, I can swirl in uh, macadamia nut butter or almond butter at home. If I'm such a little piggy with that, I eat the whole jar so I can't have it at home. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. That actually sounds remarkably similar to the shake that I usually make. Um, I tend to add a little bit of L-glutamine. Uh-huh. Um, and also I'll throw in – I usually put in four – I have these uh, these beef liver ca- uh, pills basically and I'll put those in because I, I can't swallow them myself. I got I to gotta grind them up in the smoothie. But that's wow. how, that's how well, I get my I liver. My, um, I do defatted beef protein. That's my shake base. So – I have to say, like even even Dave Asprey, who is one of the most hardcore people there is, like he doesn't he won't do liver either. Like everyone, liver is liver is a tough one. It's a it, tough sell. It's polarizing. It is definitely polarizing. I mean, I can't even do sardines, so I certainly can't. Oh do come on, sardines I know, are amazing, baby. Well, they're the big ones, but those little ones in the can, they just I'm I you know, and I, to be honest, I've never tried them because they scare me so much. So, <laughs> and liver, it's just a texture thing. It's a texture man. thing. Oh, it's so awful. Yeah, and I actually, you know. Ben Greenfield, he's like, oh no, you just you know soak it in some lemon and uh, and it, basically everything he's talking about is to make it like a little mushier. So, yeah, you know what? I'm sorry. At the end, it's still icky. It's still liver. Yeah, it's still liver. Okay, well, so then uh, one more question I actually want to ask before I get to my last question. But the, the what is the I guess what's the sweetest kind of like recipe that you make? And I'm just curious. It's totally just my own interest. Like, what do you think, in your opinion? Uh, with your, you know, your, uh, de- with your sensitized taste rather to sugar, what do you think is like the sweetest 
thing that you make? So it's interesting because when I went on this journey myself, when, when I went, okay, I'm going to take on sugar because it's everyone's so confused. I got to do something about it. And I was still throwing fruit into my shake every day. I don't put fruit in my smoothies anymore because it's too f- sweet. Yeah. And I don't even eat fruit really anymore. Um, I will be occasionally it's, it's, it's weird. I've got this weird reaction to raspberries where they make me break out in hives, but I love them. So I will have like 10 raspberries because that's how many I can have before I will break out in hives. And, um, and that's it. And I probably have that like twice a month. And to me, those are so sweet and so delicious. It's amazing. I don't really get a sweet tooth. I'd rather have that super dark, dark, dark chocolate. Like I'd rather have it more like that with a little sea salt. Like if, if someone said, what would you go like, you know, your last supper? Hey, I want a really great grass-fed ribeye with sea salt, man. That's what I want. Some mushrooms on top and a great glass of red wine. That is what I love. Um, but I will occasionally... Oh, so wine's okay for you. Wine's okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, wine, you know, really good wine because yes. cheap wine adds sugar. But life is too short. That's like wearing cheap shoes. You don't drink cheap wine. Um, but yeah, gr- I think wine is is great. I have a couple rules with it that I've had to put in for my own sanity. It's like just, you know, have it out with friends and order really great wine. I generally bring wine with me so that we have really great wine. Um, but wine, I think, is a, is a health food, just how much you're having. Again, you're not drinking a, a bottle, <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, sure. <laughs> right? Right, Art? Right? <laughs> no, I'm actually, I am a, a major, major lightweight when it comes to drinking. Um, although, uh, and I'm sure you're going to have an opinion on this, but the only thing that I can drink, enjoy, and not get any, any effects from at all is very high quality clear tequila. I was going to say that. It's so, so here there, I will only drink two things. Number one, I grew up near Napa. I grew up in Berkeley and we used to be able to skip school and wine taste because they didn't card back then. Like how awesome was that? Except that I went off to college thinking that you went and drank Opus and, you know, so, <laughs> so you know, and they're like getting a box of wine. I go, what's that? But there are only two things I can drink. Anything else will make me feel crappy and uh, really good red wine, a glass or two of that. If I go past that, I don't feel good or really good tequila. And I'm fine. I'm tequila. It's, it's interesting because I can definitely drink more tequila than wine and be fine. And But I have also learned that I can't drink tequila and wine and be fine. That I can't do. <laughs> Unfortunately, I learned that the hard way. Yeah, the most recent frat party you went to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I kind of live in a frat house. I've got like teenage boys, so it's down the street. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny, actually, that you have that, that uh, experience about tequila, too. It's weird, actually, for me. I, it's actually, I, I, I don't really get the... Uh, the drunk effects from uh, tequila either. I just, I really enjoy clear tequila when I have it. But again, I, I, I just drink rarely. I'm a, I am a lightweight. So on that note, um, I want to, I want to ask you the last question that I always ask people on the podcast, which is, and this is from anything that you've ever learned in all your, your time, but what are your top three tips for people to be more effective? To be more effective, number one, I think the most the, – the biggest tool that we don't use is a journal. And mm. every single morning I wake up and I – some of this I got from Dan Sullivan. I'm in Dan Sullivan's strategic coach and I, I've always journaled. I journal every single morning my intentions and my intentions for the day and then my 90-day goals and my year. And so I do, I literally every single day, it stays, I keep focused on track and I write the same thing pretty much every day because it's my 90 day in my year. But every day I now work on my three wins. What are my three big wins that I want to have for that day? And that is huge. Now, the second one, and I'm going to steal this from Jim Rohn. You know, Jim Rohn talked about your income is the average of the five people you hang out the most with. Yeah. So it's not just income. It's your fitness level. It's your attitude. It's everything that you do. And so I make sure that I'm around the most coolest, positive, you know, life-changing types of people. And that's how I decide to spend my time. And it's so much so now that if I'm around like a negative Nelly, it's like, ah, you know, (laughs) run away. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And, uh, you know, and I think the third one is really kind of making that decision um, about like – you know, discovering what your unique ability is, what your purpose is and what's important to you. And then just being true to yourself and doing the damn thing. You know, it's like, I'm, I am a quick start. 
Um, and so like if I decide I'm going to do something, that's what I'm going to do. But I mean, really staying on path with whatever that thing is you're supposed to be doing because we get one shot at this. And I'm pretty sure that our reason for being on earth is not to watch TV, you know, <laughs> and it's like you want to leave this place better than you found it. So figure out what that thing is for you and get up every day and take a swing at it. The, uh, that's Great. Wonderful. So, all right. Where is the best place for people to find out more about you, about the diet? So I have a bunch of cool stuff we've been putting together since the book is coming out. So we always generate a ton of, of fun training content and the quizzes and everything. And that's all at sugarimpactdiet.com. We have special stuff for, for your audience. So sugarimpactdiet.com forward slash Ari. And again, training videos, and I have the sugar impact quiz and the sneaky sugar inventory and all sorts of stuff to start walking you through the process. Awesome. Well, JJ, thank you. That was really fun talking to you. It was great meeting you uh, at at, uh, the Genius event, and I'm really glad that we got this chance to talk. And I wish you the best of luck with the book. Thank you. I hugely appreciate it. I loved meeting you too, and I love your story. Hey, everyone. It's Felix here. Thanks for taking the time to listen in, and we hope you're enjoying the podcast. We always like to hear your feedback. Please make sure to check out the blog at lessdoing.com where you can find out about Ari's elite group coaching mastermind group, as well as the Less Doing University, which has over 100 hours of video content and a question and answer forum too. Also, if you love the show, please take a moment to leave us a positive review on iTunes. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.